In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today in the reading of the Gospel, we read the story of the Samaritan woman, just as we read the same story earlier during the Great Fast. And here we are like remembering everything that happened in the Great Fast in the light of the Resurrection. Now after Christ's Resurrection, it's like the Apostles were remembering everything that Christ had said to them while He was still on the earth, and now having a different understanding and insight of what was meant and what God, what Christ was, was speaking about. So we remember here the same story of the Samaritan woman that we read during the Great Fast. We read it now again today during the Holy Resurrection, the Holy 50 Days. And Christ spe speaks about, and what we're going to focus on today is that Christ speaks about this living water that he is offering to the woman. She is coming to draw water for her needs so she can drink. And yet he is offering her the living water, a different kind of water, a different kind of sustenance than she was seeking. We read about this in verses 13 and 14. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. So the water she was seeking was this water that will, will quench her maybe for a limited time, and yet Christ was offering her something that would make her never to, to thirst again. Um, so let's compare and contrast this uh, natural water that the woman was seeking and the living water that Christ was offering. So first, something in common between both the living water and the natural water is that the thirst has to come before the satisfaction. In order for us to drink, whether it be of living water or natural water, we have to feel some kind of a thirst. No one is going to drink unless they feel thirsty, right? They have to feel the thirst first. Um, so we also, maybe our bodies tell us quickly whenever we are naturally thirsty, whenever we, we want to drink, like we were speaking about uh, before, about the difference between the needs of the spirit and the needs of the flesh. In our flesh, whenever we feel thirsty, our body is telling us, drink, I am thirsty. But for the spirit, maybe we, our bodies or our spirits are telling us that we are thirsty in a spiritual way, but maybe we are not recognizing it, okay? We read about this spiritual thirst um, in the Psalms when King David is writing. He says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Also in Psalm 63, God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Also in Psalm 143, I spread out my hands to you, my soul longs for you like a thirsty land. So King David acknowledged his spiritual need and his need for God, and he translated it and communicated it as a thirst. It was a desire. It was something that he, he desired God, something that only God could quench. Also, Christ spoke about this in the Beatitudes when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Right? Those who are seeking God, those who are thirsting and hungering for God, they will go to him and then he will give them this living water just as he spoke to the Samaritan woman. But we can compare this idea with like infants. You know, infants, whenever they're very young, maybe they're feeling hungry or they're fearing, feeling thirsty, but they don't know how to communicate this. So all they do is cry. And crying is like the universal language for I need something. And it's up to the parents to figure out what that need is to give it to them. Because children of that age don't understand what is it that they're lacking. They just feel some kind of a pain, some kind of discomfort, and that causes them to cry. And they don't, can't put their finger on what exactly is wrong. 
That actually is the case with us when it comes to spiritual thirst. How many people live in depression and sadness and hopelessness and, 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 and all these difficult challenges that maybe we face that is actually, when you really look at it, it's a thirst for God, <clears throat> but they don't recognize it. They don't realize that that's what it is. And so we live maybe in sadness, we live in darkness, we live um, you know, our lives maybe in, in a way that is full of hopelessness, and we don't point at this and say, you know what this is? I am thirsting for God. I need to quench myself. I need to fill myself with God and I won't experience these things anymore. I will feel, instead of loneliness, I will feel companionship. You know, instead of, instead of sadness, I will feel joy. Instead of hopelessness, I will feel a sense of purpose and look forward to something better than what it is that I have today. But maybe we don't recognize this, just like infants don't recognize what is it that they're feeling and what is it they need to do to solve their problem. We also maybe don't recognize that this is the situation. Only when we begin to drink of this water, this living water that Christ is giving us, will we be satisfied and quench this thirst. Also, we have to look at the source of water. With natural water, the source of water is obvious. It's very clear. And there are many sources of natural water for us to drink. But the living water only comes from one place. There's only one person, one source that can give us the living water and it's less obvious. It's less obvious. What are some ways maybe that people try to quench this thirst, this, this thirst of desire, this thirst of hopelessness, all these thirsts that we're speaking about? What are some ways that maybe people try to go and try to find the source to quench this thirst but are unsuccessful? We read about this in the book of Ecclesiastes, which was written by King Solomon, who was very, very wealthy. And he, by his own admission, he tried everything. He tried everything, every sinful thing in the world. He tried it, he experienced it, hoping that it was going to provide some kind of satisfaction in his life. You know, we read about these people that are extremely wealthy, that have everything, that have tried everything, and they're still in the end depressed and sad, and many commit suicide. Well, in the end, this is where King Solomon was. He had everything, he had experienced everything, and even in all of this, he found nothing. He didn't find this uh, satisfaction in pleasures. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1, Come now, I will test you with mirth, therefore enjoy pleasure, but surely this also was vanity. Everything he did in his life to enjoy himself, to have pleasure in his life, it was vanity to him. It didn't work. Also, he didn't find it in wine. He said, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine. He said, uh, I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. So he tried it with possessions, with career, with success. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who are in Jerusalem before me. So that also didn't satisfy him. He concluded that everything was vanity, whether it be seeking pleasure or wine or career and success or possessions or all the things maybe that in the world we set to be our maximum goal. In, in the world, these are goals. In the world, this is if we achieve all of these things, then we would look at a person and say, you are successful, right? And yet here King Solomon is saying, I had all these things, I accomplished all these things and in more abundance than anyone that had ever come before him, and yet, even with this, he said, I am not satisfied, right? This is not quenching my thirst. This is not satisfy me. And again, this is like the Samaritan woman. She is coming to draw from this well, 
and maybe for the moment that well satisfies her for the day but the next day she thirsts again and she has to go to the well again and like King Solomon is having to keep going to the well over and over and over trying to satisfy himself and in the end he is not satisfied and he concludes and he tells us this is chasing after the wind this is impossible the more you think that you're going to get happiness and joy from this you're fooling yourself it's vanity right so instead Christ is speaking to us in uh, John chapter 7 and he says what if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink let him come to me and drink and this satisfaction that Christ offers is not an external one it is not a satisfaction where God is going to give us something from the outside like a possession like a physical object or some kind of experience in the world this type of satisfaction this type of quenching of our thirst is a very internal one and it's a one that cannot be described Okay, it's, it's, one, it's one that abides in us and it's one that works inside of us giving us the sense of satisfaction and inward joy that is unrelated to our external circumstances. You notice here all the things that King Solomon is speaking about, they are all external things. You know, seeking par parties or wine or career or possessions or whatever it might be. All of these are external things, experiences that we try to have maybe to deaden and dull the, the, the depression or the sadness or the gloominess of our life as we try to go and have some kind of experience to, to kind of get our emotions excited, to, to make us forget maybe the sadness that we live with. Here the kind of joy that Christ is offering is not based on some external uh, experience or external possession. It's, it's an internal one. And yet and only when we realize that we are, should go to Him according to his rules, according to his way, according to what he called us to do, that we will benefit from this. When he says, let him come to me and drink. Come to me and drink means what? I have to put aside all those other distractions. I have to put aside all those other means that I try to satisfy myself. And only then will I try to go to him and drink. Even when we ask God for things, even as Christians, when we are praying and asking God, are we asking him only to bless what it is that we want? to bless our possessions, to bless our careers, to bless our families, to bless our health, to bless our finances, to bless all those things? Are we essentially going to God and say, God, I want you to bless all the external, all the things, because those are things actually that give me joy. Those are the things actually that I'm seeking to quench my thirst. So I want you to grow them. I want you to bless them. I want you to make them plentiful and in abundance. Or are we going to Christ and saying, you are the one that brings me joy. You are the one that quenches my thirst. You are the living water. You are the one that satisfies. So when I come to you, I don't come to you because you are the giver of gifts. And I don't come to you because you are the one that can bless everything in my life. I come to you because of you. Because you yourself are the one that gives me satisfaction. You are the one that fills me with an inner peace that, that surpasses all understanding. It's not even something I can describe or fully understand. You are the one that satisfies and gives me peace. Do we simply want God to bless our earthly life? Or do we want God to give us the heavenly life inside of me to have a heavenly life? God actually calls us for transformation. He doesn't want us to remain earthly beings that believe in God. He wants us to be heavenly beings, right? There's a difference. He doesn't want us to just stay as we are, earthly beings that have faith in Him. He wants us to become heavenly beings beyond the earth, above the earth. In Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is a transformation. 
right? We are called not to be of the world, but to be transformed into the heavenly, right? And this is, this is what we seek from him. We go to him and we say, I want to be transformed. I want to be like you. I want to experience you in my life. Also, what is the effect of this water? The natural water, like we said, sustains us for a day, but the living water, it sustains us for eternity. In Revelations 22, it says, And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Right? God is giving us infinite water, abundant water, that we can drink from it forever. And there is no end. And he's inviting us to this. He's saying, let him who thirsts come. Right? We go to him, we receive this plentiful, infinite water, and we receive this blessing not just for a day, but for the rest of our existence. Not only that, but by drinking of this water, we ourselves become fountains of water. Again, in John uh, 7, verse 38, it says, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So not only are we going to Christ because we want the living water, but he says, you yourself, will, will, there will flow from you rivers of living water. And certainly we see this in the church. And we see this like with very blessed people, like saints, for instance. Out of them flows rivers of water that anyone who comes to them benefits. Anyone who goes to them feels like there is something special and unique about these people because the word of God abides in them, because they live according to God's commandment. And again, we are going to God to quench our thirst. <clears throat> but what about people that don't know God? What about people that don't realize that God exists or they don't believe that he exists or they don't go to church and they don't read the Bible and they don't know any of this? In what way are they going to receive this living water? In what way are they going to be pointed to the direction of what is the source of this water? It's actually through us. Because he's saying, I am the living water. Come and drink from me. Once we drink from him, we become fountains of living water and rivers of living water flow from us. So that everyone who meets with us, who interacts with us, sees that this water that's coming from us, they want to drink from it. They, they see this water is in abundance. There's something special about this water that we are giving them. There's something about our attitude. There's something about our, our language. There's something about the joy that we have. There's something about our attitude in life that, that is attractive. So that other people, when they see us, even if they've never heard of God or the Bible or Christianity or whatever, they desire to have what it is that we have. And then they come to us and they say, how is it that you are like this? How is it that you believe this way? How is it that you are joyful like this? And then we tell them, this is the source of water. God is the source of water. So this is not intended to be a secret. God made it to be flowing, right? And this is the idea of evangelism. What is evangelism? Evangelism is I'm sharing of this living water that Christ has given to me. I'm sharing it with other people. And this is a very important aspect of this. The Samaritan woman, immediately after her encounter with Christ, after receiving this gift of the living water from him, the very first thing she did is she went back to her village and she told him, told everyone, come meet the person who told me everything that I ever did. To the point where they invited him, himself, Christ, to the village so that they could meet with him. This is what happened. It was because of her enthusiasm, because of her excitement, because of her faith, that when she went back to the village, this woman who was ashamed of herself, this woman who was trying to hide herself from the rest of the town, it boldly proclaimed that I met this man, come and meet with him, without fear, very boldly, saying, come and meet with him. She wasn't afraid of what the people might say about her, and she invited them to come and see. And then he himself came, Christ, 
And then they believed. And at the end they said, we believe not because of the words that you said, but because we heard of him ourselves. Right? And this is what happens whenever we are filled with the living water. So we ask God that he grant us this living water, that we seek after this living water. To receive it, we have to feel thirsty. We have to feel the thirst. And we all are thirsty. It's just we don't maybe realize what we're feeling. Maybe we, we try to satisfy this thirst in other ways. We have to realize he is the only source of the living water. And that this living water has an eternal effect on all of us. It is not temporary. It is something that lasts forever. And then finally, we become fountains of living water that other people can drink from. So may God grant us to be these fountains of living water, to receive this water in ourselves, and to be joyful in our life, regardless of the external circumstances, because God is with us, and not because we have any other kind of pleasure in the world. And glory be to God forever. Amen.